Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, today we're going to continue a series of messages out of Psalms 84 that we've just entitled The Valley of Baca, which means the Valley of Weeping. Let me just read our text again, and we're going to jump right in. Psalms 84.4, blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the Valley of Baca, the Valley of Weeping, right? everybody faces days of adversity. Everybody faces times where things do not go the way you thought they were going to go, right? But the Bible tells us you're supposed to pass through. It's not supposed to be the place that you live, right? And it says they make it a spring. Now, it's not that God does something independent of you. God does something, but it's because of you. It's because of what you do. It says they make it a spring, The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. So I like to start Romans chapter five in verse 17. I have the amplified translation here. It says, for if because of one man's trespass. Now this is Adam. And by the way, the Bible refers to him in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45 as the first Adam, right? There were actually two Adams. In fact, We could actually say this, and it would be a true statement, that all the Bible is written about two men and their effect on humanity. The first one, his name was Adam. He lived in a garden, married to Eve. The last Adam, the Bible says, is the Lord from heaven, and he's Jesus. And each one represented us in what he did. So the first Adam, because of his trespass, death reigned through the one. Death, sin, sickness, disease, war, pestilence, prejudice. You name any wicked thing, and it came in because of Adam's trespass. Much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace and the free gift of righteousness, putting us in right standing with himself, reign as kings in life, through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Just like the first Adam represented us and got us into trouble, the last Adam, Jesus, went to the cross. And he made this statement. He said, if I be lifted up, if I go to the cross, he said, I will take or draw all men into myself. What Jesus did at the cross, God looked at it and said, he's not just doing that himself. He took you with him to the cross. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, my old man was crucified with Christ. You see, you were crucified with him. You were buried with him. The Bible says that you were raised with him and you've been taken up and seated in heavenly places in Christ, in him. And the Bible says because of your connection to him, you are to reign as kings in life. In Revelation chapter 1, it says that Jesus has made you to be a king and a priest to God the Father. And you're to reign in this life as a king. So the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, 
It says to fight the good fight of faith, to lay hold of eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The Christian life is a fight. Not that? It's a fight. The Old Testament picture of the Christian life is the children of Israel taking the promised land. When they got to the promised land, they were not being welcomed with open arms. There were giants. There were seven nations that they had to displace. There were walled cities. 115 times they breached the walls of those cities and they took possession, dispossessing. That is a picture of a Christian's life. You, you, You don't become a Christian and all of a sudden there's no more problems. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10 in verse 32 says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated. I want you to think back when you got saved. After you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle of suffering. Now, if somebody said to you, come to Jesus and you'll never have any more troubles, they lied. Just that simple. The Bible says here, you endure a great struggle of affliction. The Christian life is a fight from the womb to the tomb. But the Bible tells us we're to reign as kings in life. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4 says, where the word of a king is, there is power. And you're to reign as a king. Your words contain power. The Bible says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Not just life, but death and life are in the power of the tongue. You want you to think about this. In the beginning, God said... Let there be light, and there was light. Do you realize the parent force of the universe was words spoken in faith? The parent force. It created everything you can see. And everything that you can see today will respond to words. It will respond to words. Think about this. Jesus, with a word, he healed the sick. He cast out demons. He spoke to storms. He spoke to wind. He spoke to a tree and cursed it, and it died. He killed it with his words. He killed it with his words. Now, the Bible says this, Mark 1, verse 34. Jesus healed many who were suffering of various diseases, and he drove out many demons. He drove out many demons. You say, what does that mean? That means the devil's stubborn, right? Jesus had to drive them out. How did he do it? With his words. He did it with his words. The same way that you are going to drive the devil out of your life is the same way Jesus drove out devils. Right? So, if you have a Bible or your device, you can go to Mark the 11th, (coughs) excuse me, Mark the 11th chapter. Right? And uh, we find Jesus in the city of Bethany, about three miles from Jerusalem on the other side of the Mount of Olives. So we got a couple pictures we're going to show you. Right? Why don't you show me whatever that first picture is? Now, <clears throat> as Jesus comes from Bethany to Jerusalem, this road right here, you walk it today, it's the same road. It's been there for thousands of years, just in a little better condition today. Right? We've got another picture of that same road. <clears throat> there are a bunch of our 
our, our people were walking down there, down the Mount of Olives. And then you can see up on the other side, you can see the Temple Mount, you can see the Dome of the Rock right there. Now this, in just two or three days, this is the spot right here where these people are, where they came out with palm branches and they were waving those palm branches. It's Palm Sunday. Right? They were waving those branches and they were going, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? So Jesus is going to walk down this road and he's going to see a fig tree. Right? But he's going to go down. He's going to pass that, that little brook, the Kidron brook. And he's going to go up and uh, he's going to go right in the gate. Next picture. Right? You can see that gate right there. All right? And it's closed. Now, the reason it's closed is because the Bible says in, in Ezekiel 44, it says this gate will be closed. Right? It's called the mercy gate or the golden gate. And it was the gate that if you walked right through there, you were instantly, you were right on the temple mount. Right? So that's where Jesus is on his way to go and preach. But in Ezekiel 34, it says this gate will be shut and it'll not be open and no man shall enter it because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it and therefore it shall be shut. Right? Now you'll notice it shut. What happened is this, Suleiman the Magnificent, he is a Muslim Ottoman ruler. And in 1514, somebody showed him where the Jewish Messiah is supposed to walk into that gate. And so he shut it. So he said, I'm not going to let him walk in. I'm going to shut that gate. And besides that, he puts a Muslim cemetery right in front. You can see all those gravestones. He puts a Muslim cemetery right in front. And he said, well, no Jewish holy man would ever walk through a Muslim cemetery. I don't know if you know this, but cemeteries are not a problem for Jesus. <laughs> and when he opens a door that somebody shut, it's open. So he's going to walk right through there. Right. But the prophecy was fulfilled when somebody tried to literally make a way that the prophecy could not be fulfilled. They did the exact opposite. So Jesus is in Bethany. He's at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He gets up in the morning, and he's walking down that, that trail that you just saw, that little road. Right? He's walking down that road on his way to the temple to preach, and he's hungry, and he sees a fig tree, and he goes over to the tree, and he looks for something to eat. He finds nothing, and he said to the tree, he said, no one ever eat fruit from you again forever. He went into Jerusalem went through that golden gate, went into the temple mount, and he preached. Evening time, they went back up to Bethany, spent the night with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus at their house. Next morning, he's coming back down. The Bible says in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Now, when Jesus cursed it, it died. But you couldn't tell that it died. It died in the roots. And it wasn't until the next morning that it became visible what had happened when Jesus spoke to that tree. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look at the fig tree you cursed. It's withered away. Now, I want you to notice, Peter said, you cursed the tree. Jesus did not go, you blankety blank, blank, blank tree. That's not how he cursed the tree. He cursed the tree by saying negative words to the tree. See? You curse your kids when you say you are never going to succeed. You, you literally, you curse yourself when you say, I'll always be poor. I'll never be successful. I'm never going to get free from this depression. You know, I'll be the first one that gets the next 
brand of COVID that shows up. No, what are you doing? You're, you're cursing yourself. Um, my dad was in World War II. <clears throat> um, a lot of the men that were in his platoon were killed. And I don't know the exact number. But I, I remember growing up, and this is what he would say. He said, I, I, I should have died in the war, but somehow I made it, but I'll never live to be 50. I should have died in the war, but I'll never live to be 50. I should have died in the war, but I'm not going to live long. I'll never live to be 50. 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 49, gets sick, and he dies. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. And they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. You know, you can curse yourself. You can curse yourself with words. Right? In fact, the Bible says this in Isaiah 54, and I believe it's verse 16. It says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Now, some people, that's all that they say. No weapon formed against you. No, this is what the rest of the verse says. It says that every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. You know, when somebody says, oh, you're going to get sick, you go, no, I'm not in Jesus' name. Somebody says, you'll never be a success. I bind that in Jesus' name. God's blessing is on me. I'm blessed when I go in and I'm blessed when I go out. I'm blessed in the city and I'm blessed in the country. You need to, you need to condemn that word. It's just not, well, I love God and everything's going to go right. No, no weapon formed against you will prosper, but every tongue that rises against you, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. All right. And here, their righteousness, God says, is of me. But you got to stand up. You got to speak against that word. You got to condemn that thing immediately. All right. So they, they point out the tree that has died. And again, how did he curse it? By speaking negative words to it. So then Jesus answering and said to them, he said, have faith in God. Or one translation says it this way, have the God kind of faith. Where you believe something and you speak something. Have the God kind of faith. For verily, some of your translations say, truly, I say unto you, that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he saith will come to pass, He'll have whatsoever he saith. So I want to unpack some of this for you this morning. I want to begin right where Jesus did. This right here is the most in-depth teaching on the subject of faith that you will find any place in the Word of God. So Jesus is teaching his disciples about faith. And the very first thing that he said to them is truly or verily. Now, they've been with Jesus for three and a half years. They know Jesus always tells the truth. How many of you know Jesus always tells the truth? But when he starts a conversation with you and says, I'm telling you the truth, it means two simple things. Number one, he's going to tell you the truth. Number two, you will not believe it. Got that? So what I'm going to unpack here, your mind is going to tell you, I'm telling you, your mind will tell you, that can't be right. There's more to it than that. I don't think that's how things work. But Jesus said, this is how it works. He said, truly, I say to you that whosoever will say 
to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, shall not doubt in his heart, but believe those things which he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Honestly, for years, I would read this, and I, in my mind, I would hear the exact opposite of what Jesus said. Right? Jesus said, this will work for whosoever. No excuses. Man, woman, educated, illiterate. This will work for you if you're a millionaire. You own a factory and have 2,000 employees. This will work for you. But this will work for you if you live under the bridge on an expressway in a cardboard box. This will work. This will work for whosoever. Whosoever. But notice what Jesus said. It'll work for whosoever will say to this mountain. I would read this, and this is what I would think. Well, that's Jesus. Jesus did that. Of course he did that. That's Jesus. He's God. In my mind, Jesus is saying to the disciples, look, I am Jesus. I learned to do this in heaven. This is a deity trick. God the Father could do this. I can do this. Holy Spirit could do this. But if you tried this, you would blow the lips off your face. That's what I, I thought. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. But Jesus said, this will work for who? Whosoever will say. So the first thing your faith will ever move is your mouth. And if it does not move your mouth, it will never move a mountain. Jesus, again, if I talk to even my, my best pastor friends and I said, what is faith? They would say something like, well, faith is trust. Faith is confidence. Faith is believing. But when you ask Jesus about faith, the first thing Jesus says about faith is whosoever will say. He says, you got to get your mouth working. All right? Romans 10, verse 8. But what does faith say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Where does faith have to be? In your mouth and in your heart. 2 Corinthians 4.13, since we have the same, the identical spirit of faith, according to what's written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. Right? Faith has two parts. There is a believing part, but there's a speaking part. And, and honestly, all you need to do to be disqualified is keep your mouth shut. Because Jesus said it'll work for who? Soever will say to the mountain. Now, most of us are talking to God about the mountain. We're saying, God, this mountain, this mountain hurts. This mountain's causing problems. This mountain is a hindrance in my life. God, take care of the, God, God, take care, God, take care of the mountain. Take care of the sickness. Take care of the problem. Take care of the addiction. Take care of the depression. God, God, God. Doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. Jesus said, you need to talk to the mountain. Say to the mountain. You say, why? Because God has given you authority. That's why. Jesus said this in Luke. He said, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. See, you need to use your authority. 
The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion. Verse 9, resist him, steadfast, strong in faith. Right? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You. So often we're wanting God to use the authority that he's given us. But you have the authority. So Jesus said, you need to speak to the mountain. Your mountain needs to hear your voice. Call that baby up. 1-800-MOUNTAIN. Local call for almost everybody. Mountain, I have some things to say to you. You are trespassing in my life. And you cannot, because I've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of your love. You cannot have my body. I command sickness to go. I curse cancer. I command you die in Jesus' name. You'll not have my family in Jesus' name. Loose that and go in Jesus' name. You need to talk to your mountain. Your mountain needs to hear your voice. You say, you're like, you mean I need to say cancer? I bind you and I command you to go in Jesus' name. That's right. Strong, in faith. You need to speak to it. Jesus said you need to talk to the mountain, not talk to God about your mountain. That's what most of us do. God, it hurts God. Take care of it. No, 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 no. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. So you need to use the authority that you've been given. Now, Jesus is telling you how to move a mountain, Right? Now, what most of us think is if God wants the mountain to go, it's going to go. And if God wants us to stay, it's going to stay. But according to Jesus, how many of you think Jesus knows more than you know or I know? I want some hands. According to Jesus, it is not up to God whether the mountain stays or whether the mountain leaves. According to Jesus, it's up to you. Jesus said that mountain will obey your voice. Right? And again, you, I, I could say it like this. Your address in the spirit is your voice. Your miracle is going to show up where you're speaking. It's got to be in your mouth and in your heart. That's where it's got to be. So here's what doesn't work. Somebody might say, well, I've been coming to church here for years. I pay my tithe. What do you do anyway, Pastor. I mean, I see you for a couple hours on Sunday, but what do you do the rest of the week? I, you, I, I, don't, I don't know. Anyway, I'm paying my tithe. I want you to talk to my mountain. Pastor, talk to the mountain, would you? Well, you may just as well say this. I need to lose 30 pounds. So, Pastor, will you go to the gym? <laughs> well, it doesn't work that way. Right? It does not work because you need to speak to your mountain. Your mountain needs to hear your voice. Now, um, there, there is a, Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, he's left nine of his disciples there. And a man comes with an epileptic son and brings him to the disciples. And the disciples minister to him, but there's no deliverance at all. And as Jesus comes down the mountain, Jesus said, what's happening here? And the man immediately says, I brought my, my son to your disciples. And they could not help him. And this is what he said. He said, if you, Jesus, can do anything, please help us. Have mercy on us. And Jesus said to him, listen, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. 
Now, that man was trying to say, Jesus, it's all up to you. But Jesus would not accept that. Jesus said, no, it's up to you. He said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, the man's response, very, very enlightening. He said, I do believe. Help thou my unbelief. Now, here's what most of us have thought all our life. We've thought, if I believe, I have no unbelief. But this man said, I believe. But I also have unbelief. Now, notice what Jesus said when it comes to moving your mountain. He said, say to this mountain, be removed, cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in your heart, but believe the things that you say will come to pass. Now, this is an area where a lot of people miss it, right? And this is why. Because you don't believe what you say. You say, oh, I'll see you at 7 o'clock. You don't leave the house till 7 o'clock. You don't value your word. You don't believe your word. You see, and your heart does not distinguish between, well, that one doesn't really matter, but this one does. Now, your heart, what you're planning in your heart is that you don't believe what you say. You need to be a man or woman of integrity and a man or woman of your word. In the Psalms, it says, who's going to ascend into the, little, the, the hill of the Lord? It says, he who swears to his own hurt, but doesn't change. In other words, when you say something, you do everything that you possibly can to make that thing happen. And you say, well, I had a flat tire. Call him up, let him know. But you do everything you can to keep your word. You are not going to not value your word and then value God's word. And believe what you say will come to pass. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching on how the kingdom of God works. And he said, it's like a farmer who sows seed in the ground. Now, the ground is your heart, all right? And and Jesus says he, he doesn't know how it happens, but he sleeps night and day. He says, and the crop produces. By the way, the, 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 the word in the, the, uh, in the Greek, we get our word automatic from. In other words, the sow, what you sow in your heart is automatically going to produce. All right? So if you sow fear in your heart, your heart is going to produce fear. You sow lust in your heart, your heart is going to produce lust. You see, the ground does not decide what's going to be produced. The seed that's put in the ground decides what the ground is going to produce. And what the, the ground is represented by your heart. Right? So you need to sow the right things in your heart. Right? Don't sow fear. Don't sow depression. Don't sow greed. Don't sow lust. Right? You sow what you want to reap. You sow the word of God in your heart. Right? And you value the word that you speak. You become a man or woman of integrity. Right? Believe that those things that you say will come to pass. So that man... He had faith, but he also had unbelief, right? There's really, there's three kinds of unbelief that I can immediately identify, right? The first type of unbelief is ignorance. You just don't know. Then the second type of unbelief, and this is a huge problem, all right? It's wrong teaching or wrong believing, right? There's many of us that, that were here. We were taught, all right? Well, God will make you sick just to teach you something. God will do this to punish you. God will make you sick to test you. 
Right? Listen, the easiest people in the world to get healed are Catholics. You say, why? Because they've always believed in miracles, and they've always believed that God's good. Right? But so many of us were taught wrong, all right? that God will make you sick just to teach you something. Right? But the Bible's very clear. First, uh, Acts 10.38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, went about doing good, healing all oppressed of the devil. All oppressed of who? Not God, the devil. But a lot of us were taught God makes you sick. Right? That's wrong teaching. What does it produce? Unbelief. It produces unbelief. And then there's a natural unbelief. Right? When, when, when Jesus said, bring that boy to me, the Bible says he fell down and he had a seizure. How many of you have ever seen somebody have a seizure? Lift your hand. I mean, they'll, they'll fall down, they're shaking, eyes roll back in their head. A lot of times they're biting their tongue, saliva's coming out, and you're like freaking out. Right? Well, the disciples saw that, and what did it produce in them? Unbelief. They came later and they said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. But they had been going around healing people, seeing, casting out demons. They had seen a lot of miraculous things. But when they saw a manifestation in front of them, it produced unbelief. Right? So there's those three kinds of unbelief. Now, in Lazarus, in Lazarus, excuse me, in Nazareth, in Mark chapter 6, it says that Jesus could there, not wouldn't, could there do no mighty work. Now, this is Jesus. He's anointed with the Holy Ghost and healing power, but he could do no mighty work because of their unbelief. Who's unbelief? Theirs. Not Jesus. Jesus didn't have unbelief, but they had unbelief. And because of it, Jesus could there do no mighty work. Now, Jesus said that it'll be cast into the sea, right? So, the sea is the only place that can take a mountain and receive it and cover it up completely. So what Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, you can speak to that mountain, and that mountain will be removed. And five years from now, there will be no sign that you ever had that mountain. You say, well, I'm a coke addict. Yeah, but five years from now, you can be totally free, and there can be no residue, no sign you ever had a coke problem. No sign. And somebody says, I've got this problem. You say, well, I used to have an addiction like that. They'll look at you and you go, liar. You've never had any problems like this. But you did, but they're gone. They're cast in the sea and it's gone and there is no residue at all. See, most Christians would just be happy if their mountain moved to their neighbor's yard. I mean, just get it out of my life. All right. But Jesus said it can be gone and there can be no residue. I leave in the memory that it was there. Right. And Jesus said, you'll have whatsoever you say. Now, here's what most of us do. We look at our condition and we say what we have. I think the best example to teach this is in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. And the earth is void. It's empty. It's catastrophic, translations say. And there's darkness on the face of the earth. One translation said there's gross darkness on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God is hovering above the waters. And God said, wow, that sure is dark. 
That's the blackest place I've ever seen. Is that what God said? But was that what he was looking at? Was that reality? Yes. But God didn't say, oh, what a mess. Boy, that's dark. No, what God said was, let there be light. See, what you need to do is not say what you see, but you need to say say what God promised you. You need to say about yourself what God says about you. Before the children of Israel ever went into the promised land, God said, I've given you the land. I've given it to you, right? So Moses sends 10 spies into the promised land, 12, excuse me, 12 spies into the promised land. They come back and they give a report. And they say, the land is just like God said. It flows with milk and honey, but there's giants. There's seven nations more powerful than we are. There are walled cities and they are stronger than we are and we cannot go in. Joshua and Caleb stand up and say, no, 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 no. They they said, God is for us. God's given us the land. Let us go up at once and take possession. Now, unfortunately, everybody believes the bad report of the 10 spies, that 10 spy bad network. How many of you know it's still going today? Right? They believe the 10 spy bad network, right? And they all say, hey, we can't go in. We can't go in. Joshua and Caleb, they stand up and said, God is for us. Let us go in at once and take possession. But the people believed the negative report. And this is what God said. It said, they gave the children of Israel an evil report. Other translations say a bad report of the land through which they had passed through. God said, it's yours. I've given it to you. They said, we can't do it. Evil report, bad report. Now, Isaiah 54, verse 16 says this. No weapon formed against you will prosper. But every tongue that rises up against you, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. 10 spies, and then 2 million people say, we cannot go in. Joshua and Caleb stand up, and they condemn that report. And they say, we can go in. God is for us. He will give us possession. Let us go up at once and take possession. Interesting thing. 2 million people said they can't, and 2 million people didn't. Two people, Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it. And out of the 2 million, they're the only ones who went in. Everybody got exactly what they said and believed. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. You can say what you have. You can say, I've got pain. I'm depressed. I'm broke. And it's true in the natural. But there is not just a natural world. There's a spiritual world. And the spiritual world created this world. And the spiritual world is more real than this world. The prophet Elisha is in the city of Dothan. And the king of Assyria sends an army and surrounds the city to capture him. When they get up in the morning, the prophet's servant looks out and says, Alas, my father, what will we do? And the prophet said to him, Oh, no problem. Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. And he prayed, and God opened his servant's eyes. And when he did, 
his servant saw the armies of heaven surrounding the city and surrounding the enemy. Now, they were there whether he saw them or not. But when God opened his eyes to see what was in the spiritual realm, right, he saw things that he did not see in the natural. And what he saw in the natural no longer mattered at all. Right? In the spiritual realm, listen to me, you're healed. You're delivered. You have peace. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places far above all principality, power, might, dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this world, but also in the world that is to come. So in the spiritual realm, you can look at it like this. In your account, spiritual account, you have healing. You've got victory. You've got peace. You've got deliverance. You've got provision. It's all there. But what you do is you believe what's in your spiritual account, right? And you begin to confess what's in your spiritual account. And as you do, it brings it from the spiritual realm and manifests it in the natural realm, right? To what degree? Well, I just shared this with somebody a couple days ago and they thought that it blessed them, right? Now, the Bible says that in John, the first chapter, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh, talking about Jesus. Literally, what happened is this. Over 300 times in the Old Testament, there was a prophecy about Jesus. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to live in Nazareth. He's going to do this. He's going to do that 300 times. Those words that God spoke literally impregnated Mary. And the word became flesh. The word became flesh. Think of it this way. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Let there be dry ground. And when God said those things, they came, into, they, they came to pass. Well, what God did was he used different men over a period of 1,600 years to speak 300 different things about Jesus. And those words became flesh. They became flesh. When you begin to speak what God says about you, you are going to bring what you have in your account in the spiritual realm into the natural realm. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. Well, I I wish I had more time, but um, would you bow your heads? Again, in, in a group of this size, there are always people in all sorts of spiritual conditions. There's people you've lived for God for, for decades. There's others of you that at one time you were living for the Lord, but somehow you drifted away from God. Something, somebody got in between God and you like a wedge and you drifted away. And there's others you don't know where you stand with God. But we're going to pray a prayer in just a moment. And it's a prayer in which you give your heart and life to Jesus and you turn your back on your old life. The Bible calls this repentance. So I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer from your heart. And many of you, this is what you're saying in your heart. You're saying, I want to be different. I want a new life. I want to change the way that I live and the way that I think. That's what the Bible calls repentance. Some of you are saying, I want a relationship with God. For some of you, you're coming back to God. Others of you, literally, your, your heart cry today is, God, please 
rescue me. Rescue me from the situation that I'm in. You know what Jesus said? He said, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. He wants to make you a brand new person. As you pray this prayer from your heart, you're saying, I want to be forgiven. I want to live for God. I want Jesus to cleanse me, to make me new. And I'm going to live for him. I'm going to turn my back on my old life. So I'm going to ask you, please pray this prayer out loud from your heart. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I am going to live for him. He is my king and my Lord. I thank you my past is gone, that I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.